Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. So guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 101 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Los Angeles, California with my boy, John Ban. Hey, what's up guys? Glad to be back. Uh, so if you guys recognize that voice, uh, this is John Ban from episode 9. That was a long time ago. It's a long time ago, yeah. That's crazy, right? <laughs> it is. A lot of stuff has happened since then, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> when did we, uh, where did we record that one? Do you remember? That was in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. So that, man, that was, what, two years ago now? Yeah, about two years ago. That's crazy. And so, what, all right, so what, what have you been up to since then? So since then, um, so I, I believe when we did the that podcast, I was still living in Indianapolis. Uh, had a food truck at the time. Uh, so I sold that business last, um, no, I'm sorry, that was October of 2014. Okay. And then I moved to Los Angeles after that and um, have been working on a new product. Basically, uh, we're working on a, or I'm not working on, actually make a ready-to-drink butter coffee. So a lot of those that are familiar with uh, Bulletproof Coffee and you know the butter coffee trend, we made that in a ready-to-drink version. Yeah, I actually just had it for my first time. And it's cool because it's not out to the public yet. Mm-hmm. It's just on Kickstarter. And he, so Sonic happened to have... So John Band's nickname is Sonic. If you guys are yeah. curious, why just call me Sonic. Sonic. I go by Sonic. All right. <laughs> uh, and I had one of the, the first cans mm-hmm. out there. Exclusive. And it's good. Yeah. Like, it's really <laughs> legit because I have Bulletproof Coffee all the time. Mm-hmm. I've had it for, you know, three, four years now. And I have it cold sometimes, but not on purpose. Right. You know, it just, I would drink it. I'd be working. I might leave the office. I'll come back and it's cold. Cools off, yeah. <laughs> and I'll still drink it just because, you know, it's a waste if I don't. Right. And also, you know, I'm drinking it more for the, the nutritional value and also the kind effect. of the buzz, the yeah. effect, than I do the actual taste. Um so when you let you know normal bulletproof coffee or butter coffee sit around, it mm-hmm. kind of just clumps up a bit. Right. You know the butter separates, and it's not that nice. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I drink it anyways. Yeah. But when I had this, this was the first time I had it where I was like, man, you know, this actually tastes good as a as iced coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, glad you like it. Um, yeah, that's been kind of the overall response. People are just really surprised at the smoothness of it. Um, and yeah, we we cracked the code of how to keep the butter emulsified. Uh, the, the can still requires a good shake. It is going to be a little bit of separation, but as long as you give it a good shake before you drink it, you know everything goes back into solution. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And um, congratulations on hitting your Kickstarter goal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so we just hit our Kickstarter goal um, January first. That's how we started the new year. Okay, <laughs> very cool. And how much was that goal set at? That uh, our goal was fifteen thousand. We are now, I believe, close to thirty thousand. Man, so you've already doubled your goal. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Was, and I, yeah. I, I think by the time the actual Kickstarter ends, it's going to be a lot higher than that. Yeah, that's what we're hoping to. We're trying to be the um, largest funded beverage on Kickstarter ever. So that's our goal. Okay. Yeah, I like it. So uh, sh- big shout out to Dave Asprey for kind of introducing the world to butter coffee. Yeah, totally. Dave Asprey, I mean, brilliant guy, uh, amazing recipe that he created. I mean, without that... <laughs> I mean, I mean, it literally changed my life drinking that, you know, bulletproof coffee every day. So, yeah, big shots, big shout out to Dave Asprey, genius. I'm a, yeah, I'm actually curious why he didn't come out with, with something like this. You know, yeah, beforehand. so um, I, I heard a few different things. I heard uh, he was speaking at this beverage conference um, in Santa Monica probably about a month ago. 
And that was one of the questions, you know, when can we expect a uh, ready-to-drink bulletproof coffee? And apparently his response was, you know, uh, it's not that easy. He said it's very difficult, which it is. It was, <laughs> it was a tough process, but uh, I think he's uh, running into the same issues that I had to deal with. Yeah, because I can imagine that if you have a cold, especially like a, a product that someone might, you know, is going to put in the fridge because mm-hmm. they want it cold, and it's butter, and it's oil, and it's coffee, it's going to separate. Right. The separation, and then plus, you know, also wanting to keep the integrity of the uh, beverage, you know, because the, the whole Bulletproof lifestyle is about, you know, putting only healthy things in your body. So th- we wanted to keep that integrity, you know, and that was the hard part, but, you know, we figured it out. So I think some people might wonder, they're like, man, you know, this kind of messed up because Dave is the one that popularized all of this. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't he be making the money from it? Mm-hmm. But I, the reason why I don't think it's a negative thing that you guys came out with this is because first, you know, this, this is going to introduce more people to butter coffee, totally. bulletproof coffee in general, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's convenient. And people are lazy, man, to be honest. Yeah. There's so many people I've told about bulletproof coffee and they'll ask about it and then they'll never make never it. Never make it, yeah. Because it's just, you know, it, it kind of is a hassle. Yeah. You're like, what? I got to melt butter. I got to right. order this MCT stuff. I got to blend it and I got to wash the blender mm-hmm. after. It's kind of a pain. Yeah, it's, it's definitely time consuming. It's about... I mean, each morning, yeah, it, it'll take you at least probably 15 minutes to make it and clean up. And then plus, yeah, you got the ingredients are expensive, so you got to go out and buy it. And it's just, yeah, it's a lot of work to just get started. Yeah, and you can't, like right now, you know, MCT oil is not popular enough where you can just go into a store and buy it. Right. So you got to order it somewhere. You got to wait Amazon. for it to come. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. Or, I mean, I actually, I, I ordered my stuff, you know, straight from Dave. And, you know, it takes, mm-hmm. it takes a little while to get. And that's yeah. why I will order like a bunch and then I'll even travel with it kind of worldwide. Right. Um, but what 100% I can see, like, especially, you know, and I'm hoping that it gets big enough where you guys start showing up in places like Whole Foods mm-hmm. or even gas stations. Right. I can see, you know, even though a lot of people are still going to buy, you know, Dave's beans from mm-hmm. his site, make it at home, you know, go through the ritual because I like going through the ritual. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I will continue to buy Bulletproof products, you know. Uh, yeah, I like making it at home, but, you know, I also will use the grass-fed coffee, you know, when I need it. Yeah, because it's just convenient. And yeah. You know what? I mean, it's kind of a shame that people are so busy mm-hmm. all the time, but that's the kind of the reality of life. Yeah, that's the world we live in now. Yeah. You know, this this last week that I've been in LA, I've been driving up and down from <laughs> Orange County to LA in traffic, and I haven't been having my coffee in the mornings because I don't want to get the jitters of drinking black coffee while in a, sitting in traffic. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the, to me, that's the worst thing in the world. Right. You know, you're just drinking normal black coffee and you're like just hyped up, you know? <laughs> But if I can have a can of this to go in the car while driving, you know, driving on the freeway, mm-hmm. I know the the butter and the MCT or the fat in the coffee is gonna smooth out that curve, right? You know, so that I'm not gonna get that that crazy jitters and the crash, right? Yeah, I mean the convenience of it is a big factor. You know, it's just number one, everything in there is of the highest quality. You know, our our butters sourced from Germany. You know, German grass fed cows. You know. Um, the coffee is, you know, fair trade coffee. Everything is premium ingredients. So we wanted to make sure that we kept integrity high of the product and still have the same effect and, you know, all the great taste from a butter coffee as well. So how did you go from opening a food truck in Indianapolis to this? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I had a food truck in Indianapolis and, um, a good friend of me and Johnny's, um, uh, we just call him JP. Um, he was kind of my business mentor and 
you know, he had been, after I sold my last business, he had been looking for different uh, projects that we could work on together. And, um, you know, he had, we went through several different ideas, but nothing would just seemed right. Cause I didn't want to just j dive into any project that I didn't really um, feel passionate about. So um, as we're drinking, you know, butter coffee, he said, Hey, let's try making this a ready to drink. And I, that was the, that was the one. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. You know, what's actually crazy. I remember the last time I don't know if it was the last time it was, it was, I remember seeing his office one day mm -hmm. and I told him about the bulletproof diet and he had never heard of it before that. Uh -huh. And then the very next time I showed up, he was super into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He went hardcore with the bulletproof diet. I mean, yeah, he's a huge follower of Dave Asprey as well. I mean, he has the book. Um, yeah, I know he followed the bulletproof diet for a while, like pretty hardcore. Um, and yeah, drinks, uh, butter coffee every day. And you know, he's actually the, um, the epitome of what, like the, the Dave's fans, because JP really is a CEO. Yeah, <laughs> of like a multi multi million dollar company, mm -hmm. you know, and he, you know, he and he works all the time. Right, you know, he doesn't sleep that much because he's busy. Uh, so you know, he's almost like a testament to the actual diet and then the coffee itself. Yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, the way he is as well, he's just, uh, you know, he's very skeptical. So he doesn't just dive on anything unless you know there's research to back it up, and you know there's real effects from it. So yeah, it shows it works. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually I really wanted to get JP on on this podcast because mm -hmm. he's he's pretty much my mentor as well. Yeah. You know, and I remember one of the things I asked him the last time we spoke was how do you never get stressed out? Like why you ne you know, when bad, you know, things don't go your way, mm -hmm. how come you never, you know, like you never get negative. Never freak out, yeah. And have, have you noticed that about him? Yeah, totally. Cuz I'm sure going through this process, I'm sure there's been a lot of mm -hmm. ups and downs. Sure. Like how how's it, how has he responded to all that? Yeah, so um you know, he's just, well, he kind of instilled this in me as well. He told, you know, he said, look, there's things, mistakes are going to happen. You know, the main thing is we don't make those same mistakes twice. So mistakes are going to happen. Ex expect that, be prepared for it, just learn from it and move on. But the other thing he said is, you know, I don't get concerned about things I, that are out of my control. That's exactly what he said to me yep. as well. And I've been taking that to heart. And mm -hmm. I think everyone listening to this can take that to heart too, where if something was under your control, you know, yeah, you know, slap yourself right. for it and be like, man, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Not going to let it happen again. Yeah. But if something was completely out of your control in the first place, you know, why, why would you stress about yeah, it? Yeah, there's nothing you can do. I mean, if it's out of your control, what, I mean, even if you stress about it, it's not going to help us. So why? Yeah. So, you know, this guy managing like, I don't know, I don't know exactly how much, but you know, tens of millions, maybe even more of, of assets from, you know, these companies, he doesn't, he never lets it stress out. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? never. <laughs> yeah. And even going through like the formulation, how like, I'm sure the first couple didn't work out, right? Right. Yeah. So we went through uh, like 17 different iterations and several different uh, beverage companies to produce it. And uh, which each, with each iteration, uh, there's like hundreds of changes per iteration. So yeah, just, it, it, it was a long process. I mean, there was, some definite hurdles that we had to get over and uh, yeah it was a very difficult process like so from start to finish how, how long has it been so far so uh it's about i'd say about a year and a half now we've been working at it but like man, that's non -stop. a long process man it's a, and it's, that's fairly quick considering like the beverage industry standards but uh yeah i mean especially for somebody like me like that likes to be you know see results immediately yeah it was really long but I think that's why, I mean, I don't actually know the real reason, but I'm just assuming that the reason why Dave Asprey came out with fat water first, at mm -hmm. least, instead of um, a pre-made, like, ready-to-drink right. bulletproof coffee is because it was, it was easier to make. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, he, that's what he said at the, uh, you know, the beverage conference uh, 
last month in Santa Monica. He, just, he said it's very, you know, it, it's very difficult to make a ready to drink butter coffee, and that's he acknowledged that. Yeah, like, and I actually had Dave on this episode. It was fifty episode fifty nine. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to take a listen to that, and, yeah, you know, super cool guy. So I think, I mean, I, I don't know if if Dave will be unhappy that mm-hmm. you know I'm on here interviewing the the founder of of grass-fed coffee or, you know, technically a competitor. But at the same time, I honestly think that he's open-minded enough where he's like, you know what, this is going to, you know, this is a product that we weren't making anyways, mm-hmm. we weren't selling anyways. Right. Um, this is going to bring a whole new group of people to come try, you know, some type of butter coffee, mm-hmm. you know, using the his actual, you know, what he recommends too. It's right. not like you guys went out and started putting sugar know, crap in yeah. it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. cause, so what's actually the ingredients? Yeah, so uh, the main ingredients we have is the fair trade coffee, um, the grass-fed butter from Germany, and then we have the uh, we had a xylitol just to kind of uh, sweeten it up a little bit. It's not too sweet, just just enough. And then we also added uh, organic chicory. So um, you know that combination of ingredients just makes it really smooth, tastes great, and yeah, all the great effects you get from but you know butter coffee. And and is there, is there a coconut oil there? Or oh yeah, I'm sorry. Oil? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we have MCT oil as well. So nice, which is like concentrated coconut exactly. oil. Exactly. I like that. And yeah, I could test to it. It's not too sweet. It's like it. It basically tastes. I mean, to me, like it tastes exactly like the bulletproof coffee I make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I can kind of you know if you tell me it's a little bit you know there's some xylitol in there, mm-hmm. which is like a very bulletproof friendly sweetener. Correct. Then I can taste it, but I think if you didn't tell me, I would just assume that that's just how it tastes. Right. Yeah. So it's good. I like it. So how's how's it feel to have it be a, the Kickstarter be a success? Like, was it was it worrying? Because you guys you guys put in a year and a half. I'm sure a lot of money mm-hmm. to even launch the Kickstarter. Well, I mean, I, we felt pretty confident that we would hit the goal. Uh, but yeah, it is great to hit the goal because it kind of lets us know, you know, hey, we're not crazy. There are people that want this product. You know, there is a market out there for this. So uh, it kind of gave us some more confidence. It's given us some nice momentum. Uh, I mean, I've been getting emails from all over the country, you know, people want to be distributors in their country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the response has been great. And, yeah, just kind of gives us uh, some more confidence going into this. And how crazy is it that, like, with this day and age, you know, you can you can do this? I mean, do you think that, like, let's say this was five or ten years ago mm-hmm. before social media, before Kickstarter, do you think it would have been a lot harder? Yeah, <laughs> definitely much harder. I mean, yeah, we're utilizing social media like crazy. I mean, Kickstarter in itself is a great platform as well. So yeah, um, I think it would be uh, much harder back then, uh, especially for something like butter coffee. Nobody was, you know, the <laughs> you have all these bad uh, stereotypes of butter. You know, everybody's like, oh, it's gonna make me fat. But now we see the new research coming out in our, you know, the modern times that hey, butter is actually great for you as long as it's from grass fed cows. I think you guys got super lucky with all the free publicity on it too. Yeah. <laughs> like if you guys watch the Kickstarter video, it's, you know, who, who do you have on there talking about it? Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, we had like Queen Latifah, you know, just, we just kind of showed like all the different celebrities that, uh, you know, are already drinking butter coffee at this point. So uh, yeah, it just all kind of worked together and looked pretty good. It's, it's insane. Cause it looks like you guys spent like a million dollars <laughs> getting endorsements from these celebrities, right? but they were just talking about it anyways. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we did kind of get lucky on that. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's crazy, you know, because I mean, I guess if they were saying, if they, you know, was on the, the on the show saying, um, you know, bulletproof coffee, you guys wouldn't be able to use those scripts. exactly. But they just, you know, they all called it butter coffee, right? Yep. So that, that's where we got lucky at. Yeah. That's that's super smart. I think mm-hmm. if, you know, if anyone out there is kind of looking for a business idea, find you know, figure out what people are talking about, anyways. Right. You know, like if you're watching. I mean, I don't waste my time watching the morning show or mm-hmm. um, Queen Latifah show or anything right. like that. 
But if there is a trend going around and people are talking about something mm-hmm. and there isn't a, a, a product out for it already right. or there's a way to make it more convenient, mm-hmm. that can sell. Oh, yeah, totally. So, yeah, you know, spotting the trend and then actually researching the trend to see, you know, does it, is this trend real? Does it work? You know, and clearly, you know, butter coffee works. So, you know, that's why we dove into that. Yeah, I like it because, I mean, because you really are making something – that's going to help people, you know, it's going to make, at least make their lives more convenient. Right. Nothing else. Yeah. You know, like you're not just knocking off another product. Like, um, so like, let's say with Kickstarter, a lot of times people find products already made in like China mm-hmm. and they just rebrand it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, and, yeah. and they will say that like, like, oh, this is a new innovation. <laughs> right. This is like, um, you know, like help us get funded for this Kickstarter. Uh-huh. But then it's already a product that is already being manufactured in China, and they're they're just like, well, let's see if anyone wants to buy it, and then we'll order a bunch. Right. And it, you know, it's actually a pretty smart business idea. So yeah. then you can, um, I guess you could do that if you find a good enough product that just doesn't have any publicity. Right. But I think by you guys actually filling a need, mm-hmm. you know, and going out of the way to like create something, and you guys got some like patents for this, right? Uh, we have tr- we have trademarks. We don't have uh, patents. We do have uh, what they so the f- actual formula that we created is called uh, they call those trade secrets. So only we know the exact. You know, it's like Coca Cola. You know, they have different manufacturers that make it, but you know they have their trade secrets. So the only um, you know they know the uh, exact formula. The you know the percentages and yeah, ratios. especially with the um, you know the way that you guys could make it without a separate. I, I can assume that took a lot of money and time. Yeah, to exactly. I like it. So what if Dave like hit you up was like, Hey, can we uh, have a partnership or like distribute this? W- would you be open to that? I mean, yeah, I, th- I would, I think I'd be open to it. Uh, I mean, obviously I have a partner involved as well, but um, yeah, we're totally open to, you know, discussions with, you know, Asprey or whoever. Yeah. I think that would be like a win-win for, for both of you guys. Yeah. Cause I know like, for example, um, on his store, he has something called Natural Stacks, which is a, a brand of like brain supplements. Mm-hmm. And I was actually just visiting uh, Austin last week, and I was I met up with my boy Ben Hebert, who he's the owner of that. Well, he's one of the, the founders of that company, and they had a, a supplement called Selpt Selptic Seltep, Yeah, Seltep. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Have you tried that? Um, I think I might have tried it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a new tropic, so it's a way to kind of boost your your brain, right? So you get more work done. And I was really surprised when Dave Aspie started carrying their line mm-hmm. and they started selling, you know, their stuff in their store. And I actually asked Ben, I was like, why didn't Dave just make his own? Right. You know, why did he, you know, why would he settle for you guys being the, the founders of this and, and just be like distributor? And Ben was like, well, you know, it's, it's easier for Dave. Like we already did all the work. Yeah, it's, already, it's already good. Yeah. Just yeah. slap his branding on there. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I'm sure Dave gets a good, you know, good cut of it. He gets right. a good wholesale price because he has bringing so many people. Yeah. So I can see Dave doing something like this even with, with your uh, butter coffee. Yeah. That, I mean, it makes sense, you know. Um, yeah. That is something we could definitely be open to. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so and it's crazy because I've actually known Sonic now for how many years? Oh man, we met in what 2007? Yeah, 2007. I moved to LA for the first time. It's been eight years. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and, and we're sitting on his couch now in LA, <laughs> and he was sleeping on his couch in LA eight years ago. Right. Do you, Do you remember? Do you remember that place that you, you were staying at? Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. So back in 2007, uh, when I first moved to LA. I was in LA doing music at the time. You know, I was a rapper, a songwriter, recording artist, and um, that was the height of the recession. Recession had just hit. I mean, gas prices were insane. You know, nobody's hiring. It was crazy. And um, yeah, I had a studio apartment with uh, two other dudes living there. And uh, you know, luckily they were good friends of mine. Um, 
but yeah, it was just, it was a rough time, you know, and that was, uh, probably 2010 when I left LA. So that wasn't that long ago that I was, you know, in that position. So a lot can happen within a short time. Yeah. So for two years you were sharing like a, like a, so a studio apartment is an apartment with no room, no rooms. Yeah. yeah so just one, one just big one room. room. Yeah. And there was three, three grown dudes just like sharing it because yep. yours are all trying to come up. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. We're all, um, it was, uh, me, I was rapping. The other guy was a rapper and then, um, the other guy was an actor. Man, and, and, but you know what? It's like you got to put in that work, right? Yeah, it's you know, it's just um, you got to put in the work. And those tough times actually, you know, I, I, I'm glad I went through that because it actually prepared me for everything else in life. It's just everything else seems so much easier to me now since I've been through something that difficult. I, I know exactly what you mean. And and I was talking, talking to Sonic about this earlier where I think it's because I've slept in so many crappy places, mm-hmm. especially while traveling around Thailand and I was broke. Right. So, you know, all the different Muay Thai gyms, I was like, you know, I was like sleeping in like rings and mm-hmm. I was sleeping in like attics, you know, just because I didn't get a free place to sleep while I was right. training. And now, even though I really, I prefer to stay in like a five-star hotel, mm-hmm. I'm okay with also crashing on the floor, you know, at a buddy's house or even like I slept in a closet, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's because of that now that I, first off, I appreciate nice, nice mm-hmm. places more. I think people that always are comfortable, they don't appreciate nice Exactly. Places. That's very true. Yeah. You know, so I appreciate the crap out of it now. And mm-hmm. then also I'm okay with like once in a while, especially like, let's say it's, it's me. I'm just traveling somewhere and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, by myself, you know, or with, with a guy friend. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, yeah, let's just stay in a cheap place. Who cares? Right. You know? Cause you're not gonna be in the room that much anyways. Yeah. Uh, and not only is that good for my budget because I can take that money and put it towards an experience or something else, mm-hmm. you know. But then also, you know, I can it. It's almost like a reset. Where it yeah, keeps, keeps you, you grounded. Yeah. Keeps you grounded. Yeah, and uh, keeps you appreciative of all the blessings that come your way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, we were both broke. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think at that time I was doing okay because I I was I was working, but mm-hmm. sh- like right after that when I moved to Thailand, I was broke for the next couple years. Yeah. You know, I remember like. You know, I was I was making like a couple hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I was trying to live as cheap as possible, uh, and then now you know, I th- I think we're finally at a point where we both we got these big projects going mm-hmm. on. We know what we're doing. Like, yeah, right. life's good now. Yeah, life's good, and you know, we completely appreciate everything we have now. You know, and we know if we did lose it all, you know, we can survive it because we've been through much worse. So yeah, I never want to lose it all. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I try to be pretty smart with my money. Right. But you're right. Like, I know if I had to start over, I could. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, 100%. Sure. Yep. Man. So how, how's life in L.A.? Man, life is great. You know, like you said, like, you know, I have my own place out, you know, pretty nice uh, luxury apartment in L.A. And, you know, I, I never take it for granted. I'm, you know, because I always remember that studio apartment when I first came to L.A. So now it's just like, you know, wow, you know, my situation is so different the second time around in Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, the lifestyle's great. I'm, I'm loving life right now. Yeah, we're downtown uh, on his balcony. There's a like a huge fountain. Looks yeah, sick. got a nice courtyard out back. <laughs> yeah, and we got you know it's like a nice luxury building. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, man, you came up. I like yeah, it. so yeah, the situation's much different now, and yeah, yeah. just uh, you know stay grounded and appreciate everything I have. Do you remember the car that you had out out when we were in LA? Oh yeah, what was that? The Buick Regal. What, what year? <laughs> what year? Man, oh man, I, uh, shoot, I can't remember what year that was. Maybe it, it was old. It was an older one. Yeah. Old, old Buick Regal, man. I got pulled over so many times in that car. Yeah, because it looked like a like gangster like ride. Gangster yeah. <laughs> right. Man. And now you got a Benz. Yeah, I got a Benz now. So moving up a little bit, you know. That's so crazy. So, all right. If, what would you attribute to 
to all this? I mean, like, what do you think the main factors were, you know, to, to kind of bring you to this point? Um, so the one thing I always tell everybody is, you know, they ask me, you know, what makes you such a good entrepreneur or whatever? Not that I even consider myself a really good entrepreneur, but I would say the, the willpower, I had the sheer will to make everything happen. You know, like you're going to have tough times when you start a business, very difficult times. You know, sometimes you're going to want to quit or sometimes you're going to think this is impossible. But that sheer will that I had to make all my businesses succeed is what, you know, really made them succeed. <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely 100% see that because every time you've worked at something, you've really put in like blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to, to go through, even with your music. Mm-hmm, you definitely. Know? Like, it's it's not easy trying to come up as an Asian-American rapper <laughs> from Indianapolis. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you didn't care. You're yeah. like, Man, I'm going to put in the work. Yeah. If I have to work 10 times harder than everyone else, mm-hmm. then so be it, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not the most you know talented. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the most gifted. But one thing I do have is that, that work ethic and the sheer will. So uh, that's a huge advantage. And I think people see that in you, and that's why they invest in you. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the other part where – like from you know, looking from the outside, mm-hmm. I think that was the other reason why you become so successful mm-hmm. is because of your connections. Yeah. You know, where you don't go out and network to try to, you know, kiss butt and, mm-hmm. you know, and try to get something from people. Yeah. You know, you're just like a genuine, cool, hardworking guy. And I think people see that. So then when they have an idea or you have an idea mm-hmm. and they want to collaborate, they don't mind putting up the money. Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, me, you know, me and JP, my business partner now, um, you know, we're not really the networking type. You know, we even had a conversation about that. You know, like I've never been a networker. Uh, I don't know why. I just don't like um, I don't like to ask people for stuff. You know, I like to do things on my own if I have to. And um, yeah, I've never been a big networker. It's just I never I, I never asked for anything from anybody. So um, and I think that surprises a lot of people, especially in L.A., because almost everybody's like, hey, what do you do? Because they want to find a way how they can use you to, you know, move up the ladder for whatever they're trying to do. But, you know, I never do that. So, it, yeah, it does kind of separate me from the rest of the crowd. Yeah. And what's cool is I think, like, you know, let's say you don't have, you you know, you didn't have money. Mm-hmm. You didn't have, like, the fancy car or, like, the whatever hookups. You would figure out, like, what are my strengths? What can I offer this guy? Right. And I remember the way that you and JP started hanging out is you would you would train him. Mm-hmm. You know, because you were all into fitness. You were in good shape. And you had the knowledge. But JP was busy, mm-hmm. you know, he was trying to get in shape and you're like, you know what, I'll, I'll drive to your house and, you know, I'll, I'll train you in your gym. Yeah. And I actually, you were the one that made that connection for me, you know, because uh, you told me, yeah, hey, JP is looking for a trainer and then you, you connected me to him. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And it all comes back because I knew he was a good guy. I knew mm-hmm. you were a good guy. So then I don't mind making that connection. Right. You know, versus if I meet someone else in L.A., that they're just like, hey, do you know, you know, do you know any producers or do you know any mm-hmm. investors? And I can tell they're like, that's all they want. Then you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give my word and say like, oh, this guy's cool. Right. You know? And that's the thing about you that I've, you know, always noticed that you know you're always down to, you you always help without expecting anything in return. And you know that's why you know everybody likes you know working with you, or trying to help you out um, with whatever your endeavors are, because you know they know you're you're what's called a giver. You give and don't expect anything in return. You know, you, you just help if you can, you know, to like other givers, other people that are, you know. I remember you talking about a book called Give, give and Take. Take. Yes. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So uh, Give and Take is a book by Adam Grant. Um, he was a professor at uh, the Wharton School of Business, which is a well-respected business school. And basically what he did was, um, you know, he studied all the industries, right? And what he did was uh, he categorized people into three different categories. Um, one is a giver. A giver is the uh, person that 
always helps people and never, you know, they just love to help. They don't expect anything in return. They'll help you if they can. Um, the second one, I forgot what it's called, but it's like kind of like the guy in the middle, like, you know, uh, he'll, he'll help you. The but matcher. He, yeah, the matcher. He'll help you, but he always expects uh, a favor in return, which most people are. And then you have the taker. The taker is the guy that just, you know, uses people, takes, 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 never gives anything in return, just uses people. And so basically what he found was at the top of every industry, the people at the very elite level were, um, the majority were surprisingly givers. I mean, of course, you had some takers up there and you had a few, uh, you know, matchers up there. But the top guys were uh, givers. But on the other side, at the very bottom of the, each industry, the majority were also givers. Now, so the difference between the givers at the top and the givers at the bottom was the givers at the bottom kept getting used by the takers. So they could never progress in their life because they just kept getting used and used and used because they, they just wanted to help people. And they kept helping the takers. But the givers at the top only helped other givers or matchers and never helped takers. And that's how they, you know, got to the top. I actually read that book after your, your recommendation. Mm -hmm. And I regret reading the book because you already summarized the whole thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you did such a good job of summarizing it yeah. that the reading the book was honestly a complete waste of my time. <laughs> but what I got from your explanation of it mm -hmm. was is genius. And I had realized, I was like, you know what? I know in my heart not to give to takers, mm -hmm. but I always felt bad. I was like, thought, like, you know, maybe I should give them a chance or right. something, right? But after you told me that, it really reassured me. Where I'm like, you know what? Not everyone's going to like me, mm -hmm. and I don't need to be generous to, to everyone. Right. Especially people who I know are takers. Yeah, people that won't appreciate it, you know. But when you're helping other givers or other matchers, then at least they're going to appreciate it. And they're going to, you know, they might not be able to, you know, help you out immediately, but down the down the road, they're going to remember what you've done for them. And that always comes into play. And so I think one of the reasons why I've always kind of just naturally wanted to match people up or, or give whenever mm -hmm. I could, especially if it's something like, I mean, I've never, I've never been the type to just give people money. Right. You know? Like I'm not, I still don't do that. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that is like an intangible asset, like an introduction mm -hmm. or like to help them out with something that's not going to actually cost me money, you right. know, like something I can just do for them or I can like, you know, it takes my time or energy or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm always happy to, especially if they're a good person. And I've actually never expected anything in return. I, I mm -hmm. honestly can say that. Like I, I very seldom am I, am I like, am I, you know, is this going to be an ROI? Is it going to be return? Right. Yeah. You're a genuine giver. Like you're yeah. a giver in the book. But I think the nice thing about that is, in the long run, mm -hmm. I have received received a lot exactly. back. Exactly, you know, and some people sometimes people say like you'll receive back ten x. You will receive, you know, you'll, you'll receive back you know ten times what you put out there. Mm -hmm. And now that I've kind of been doing it for so long, I believe that. 100%. Yeah, no, and that's true. And as in the, like in the book, that's what it says. It has a compounding effect. So you may have helped like uh, let's say you helped ten people, and uh, you might they might not be able to do anything for you for like maybe however many years. But all all these people that you helped. They they're they're now cheering for you to win. You know they're they want to see you succeed. So when they can help you, they they will help you, and that's why it comes back ten ten times or you know however many times, right? Yeah, I definitely one hundred percent believe that. Yeah. And the thing about the matchers, that's kind of like the weird kind of gray zone, right? Because mm -hmm. I actually really don't like it when someone immediately wants something back, right? You know, so I think if you have the, the matcher mentality, it's fine. Yeah, you know, it's honestly not a bad and thing. And that's most people. Today. Yeah. yeah. But I would just suggest don't ask for the, the favor right. Like, right away. Yeah. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you're kind of like, all right, just just, you know, 
maybe it's like credit karma. Mm-hmm. Like it'll like it'll probably come back. It's you know don't feel bad for asking for something, but right. I wouldn't be like, all right, this is like an even trade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of what I've noticed with you know a lot of givers, they just you know they just freely help when they can, as long as it, you know as long as it's not too much of an inconvenience for them, they'll, they'll gladly make a connection or whatever. And uh, they they really don't expect anything in return, but it always comes back to them. I mean, even like as a like hosting a podcast, for example. I get people, you know, who email me, you know, just wanting value, right? right. They're like, hey, can I be, a, you know, can I be a guest on your show? I'll, I would like to, you know, sell my products to uh, all your listeners. And I'm like, no. And I, even, I don't yeah. even answer the emails. I just yeah, delete takers. it. Yeah, they're just takers, you <laughs> right. know? And But then there's people who are givers and they're just like, you know, like, um, hey, you know, I thought you would be interested in this. Right. Or like, you know, I saw this article that you might be interested in, you know, or, like, you know, it's usually not even that because then stuff like that I can kind of find on my own. Mm-hmm. I think it's usually more like they're just like a cool person. Yeah. You know, they're just like a good person. And then I'll naturally see that, you know. Right. And then I'll be the one to want them on the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? See how that works? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's wild. I don't know. And it's, it's crazy because then... Yeah, it's one of those things where like, and, and I think, you know, sometimes you might think, you might have the macho mentality where you think, man, this person's giving me so much, I should like return the favor. Mm-hmm. But I think you kind of just do that naturally anyways. Right. You know, I think, yeah. you know, I think generous people kind of just naturally do that mm-hmm. even without, um, thinking even without about expecting it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like it. Yep. So your, your first business, if we kind of think back, you know, what, two years now, mm-hmm. you, you know, you were one of the, you, you co-founded one of the first uh, food trucks in Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. So we started the um, the first like modern style food truck in Indianapolis, which basically kicked off the whole food truck industry in Indianapolis. And I mean, I think now there's like, last I heard, maybe like, close to 100 food trucks in Indianapolis. And that's not even like a, you know, it's like a mid-level city. You know, it's not like one of the big markets, but that's a lot of food trucks for a mid-sized city. And I think for what I learned from that the most was, first off, I was like, how is there not, I mean, was that a question where you were like, like, how is there not a food truck scene out there? Yeah, that's what actually got me to leave L.A. to go back to Indianapolis when I found out that people didn't know what a food truck was at that point. So that's when the light bulb went off. I saw the opportunity and, yeah, went back and did it. So do you think that there are some cities out there today that still don't have a scene yet? In the U.S. at this point, uh, any like decent sized cities, I think I would think they all have a food truck scene. Uh, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but I mean, I would just uh, assume. So, if you're from like a like a mid sized city in the U.S. and there is not like you know a food truck scene out there, mm-hmm. and, and you know, there might be like a food truck at the construction site. But that doesn't even count. I'm talking right. Talking, the yeah. modern style that uh, has a nice branding on the truck. You know, has, uses social media to promote their business. Yeah. So if that it doesn't exist yet in whatever city you're in, uh-huh. man, do it. Yeah, you know? definitely <laughs> do it. I mean, especially uh, it's a great first business too. Like, I mean, I'm so thankful to start up. That was my my first real business was a food truck. Uh, learned a lot. As you know, very difficult. But I mean, as my first business though, it was awesome. Uh, great experience. Do you remember the startup cost for that? Yeah, I think uh, the first one, I think it was roughly about probably like 25K. Yeah, and you know what? It sounds like so much money, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think a lot of that goes to stuff that is resellable, right? Like the truck Yeah, itself. so the, yeah, most of that was the truck, um, yeah, and just ingredient costs to get started. But yeah, it's, you have the truck, so that's that's the, your main asset. And it's still a lot cheaper than opening like a brick and mortar store. Yeah, way cheaper, uh, much less risk. Um just more uh, options. You can go anywhere. You can be anywhere. You can go do events, do you know catering, whatever. 
I don't know if you remember this conversation because it was so long ago, mm-hmm. but I remember when you first, before you even had the food truck idea, you guys had the idea of opening a restaurant. Right. And I remember saying like, oh, man, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I gave you a, I gave you a suggestion that you guys ended up not doing. Uh-huh. So I think the food truck was actually even better. But I think I actually remember saying like, hey, before you sign a lease to the place, why don't you just set up a, a stand? Oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. And because my idea for that was, you know, let's say you wanted to sell uh, tacos at Third and Main Street, mm-hmm. all right, and you wanted to, you know, rent that building out. You know, it's, it's before signing a, a lease, renovating it, you know, painting the place, you know, installing equipment in the kitchen and hiring employees and all this, right. and then trying to sell tacos. I was like, man, just like s- literally put a table there, have some tacos for sale, <laughs> right. and see if anyone buys it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and right. I think the food truck was good because then you know it was kind of the next, like the kind of more of a mid-level step, right? Where you didn't have as big of an investment, but then you still had something that you can move too, which right. is even better. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, I totally remember you telling me about that. But um, yeah, I think the food truck was a good w- way to go because it was. I mean, it was already working in every other market, right? So proof of concept is already there. And then we're offering, uh, we were offering uh, Korean style tacos. So that was a very unique product, especially for you know Indianapolis. I, there was no place that you know made Korean ta- style tacos, so it was kind of two two unique things that went into it, and I think that was a big part of the success as well. Yeah, like that, you know, it, that kind of just proves that anytime there's a place that is like not one of the you know the ten trendy cities, mm-hmm. they're always waiting, and people are hungry because yeah. you know, not I mean, physically they're hungry, but also they're bored, right? You know, like people want something. They new. want the new stuff. Yeah, they, yeah, they want something to talk about, mm-hmm. and I think that's how you guys got so popular is because people were desperate for something exciting to come to Indy, right? You know, so right when it came, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, it, uh, we got kind of got lucky with that as well because it was like perfect timing. You know, they had, they were hearing about you know cities like L.A. with the awesome food truck scene. You know, Portland. So people were hearing nationally about how these. Uh, cities had food trucks so when we came it was like perfect they were like you said they were starving for this next this hot trend that's happening all over the country and then finally it came so i mean we were getting like so much press it was i mean i, I think it was on tv like every other day for like a good month straight you know i remember seeing that i, I yeah. remember seeing you all over the media yeah and I had no media training, so like you know, the first few interviews, obviously, I was like real nervous and what. But then I was doing them so often, it became nothing to me. I was just like, you know, I could have just woke up and just hopped on TV and just started talking, you know. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and now with uh with Grassroot Coffee, I, I I I have a big feeling that's gonna happen as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm prepared for that. So I mean, I, and I hope it does happen that way. Um. So yeah, I should be ready for it. Do you have like a almost like a demo reel of all your TV interviews? Uh, I don't, but uh, I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. But yeah, I don't have like all that combined. One hundred percent, I would do that. Yeah, I, I would. I would find all the the interviews that you've ever done uh-huh. anywhere and just have somebody cut it up. Yeah, that's a good idea because I mean I can still find them all online and whatnot. So yeah, hundred percent. I'll, I'll link to that if 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 you do it. Okay. Uh, nice. So this is episode one hundred and one of, of the podcast, man. Can you yeah. can you believe you you went from episode nine? <laughs> now we're over a hundred. Yeah, I mean that sh- that says a lot about your podcast as well. You know, travel like a boss just kept going and plugging along. You know, um, now you're you know broke a hundred. That's crazy. It's it's so insane. Like I really think that it's one of those things where you got to be dedicated, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it would have been easy for me just to get lazy and stop, right. but the fact that I make time for it every week and you know it takes. It takes time. Yeah, you know? it's a production. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I even invest in new equipment now. Mm-hmm. Got these, you know, yeah, fancy mics. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's 
you know, so if the audio has been better now since the last couple episodes, that's yeah. because I bought this new like external mixer where I can plug in like right. real mics into it. And you know, it's, it's extra stuff to carry, you know, it's extra money, but it's, I figure you got to step it up. Right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as long as this has been going, yeah, you know, you're just improving it every time. So, but at the same time, I do recommend to people when you we get started, minimal viable product. Right. So f- test the market first. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to open a restaurant, put a, put a freaking stand up or get a food truck yeah. first. Test it. See if people want to buy it and then spend the money. Exactly. And I mean, that's you said it just exactly right. Um, you know, people always ask me like, oh, OK, if I want to uh, you know, start a business, what do you think about if I get this big space? I'm like, man, I would get the smallest space possible. It's better to outgrow that space than to have a big space where you can't afford, you know. So, like, like you said, the smallest amount you have to invest, start with that and let it grow instead of trying to start big and then have to keep going smaller and smaller, you know. Well, just like so um, Penny Heber and Natural Stacks, I went to their office in, in Austin and it's pretty small. It's only like what, three rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, I mean, I don't know how much they're doing. I think they're doing over a million now in, in supplements, yeah. especially after Dave picked them up. Mm-hmm. But they just have small office, couple desks. Right. So I'm sure they're going to outgrow that. You yeah. Know? But at the same time, why would they spend all that money right now, like waste it, Yeah. you know, when they can just grow into it, right? Exactly. And uh, my boy Henry, uh, I can't say his last name, <laughs> Flentes. He was a uh, was he on the show? Uh, we hung out in Thailand, but um, he is one of the the founders of Six Pack Shortcuts. Yeah, and I was visiting him out in um, out in Austin as well. And when they started that company, it was him, a guy named Daniel Rose, Mike Chang. They started a few years ago, almost like five years ago or something. Mm-hmm. In it was in I think we were I think we were in Austin. We might have been in Houston to be honest, but um. When they started, I was in their living room. They were just filming at 24 Hour Fitness at like 3 in the morning mm-hmm. when everyone else went to sleep. Right. You know, so the place would be empty. You know, um, they would film in the apartment. And then they got, you know, they, they got another apartment. But it was just, you know, still just an apartment. Yeah. And they would film in there. And now, when I went there, they had, man, this warehouse was, it was like twice the size of Costco. Wow. It was giant, man. It was so freaking big. I, you know what? Maybe the size of one Costco. That's insane. Right? Still. <laughs> but yeah. either way, it's so big. They have um, all these offices and then they have this like sales floor where it's all the people who answer the phones, answer the questions. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is when I like walked in there, I assumed that all the guys hanging out there were like the on-screen talent, like the the guys that make the YouTube videos, Uh you know, the Jack dudes like um, that, you know, are are, like on camera. Right. But Henry was like, no, 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 these guys guys just want to answer the phones. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, like that's, that's cool that the dudes answering the phones are jacked, you know, cause they're yeah. like, they're normally, you know, they're answering questions about like fitness and nutrition knowledgeable, yeah. and what supplements. And it's cool that they actually, you know, do what they, you know, what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. It could have easily been a, you know, overweight dude eating yeah. a cheeseburger, <laughs> answering phones, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but to be fair, uh, there were a couple of people like that, <laughs> but they were all in it. Yeah. So, man, it sucks. I felt bad because mm-hmm. I actually went to lunch with um, some of the IT people and they were like super, you know, cool people. Yeah. But their job is to do the back end, you know, right. like, and they're just behind a computer all day. So no one, no one sees them. They don't mm-hmm. talk to anyone. And they're like in this office with the jackest people in Austin. <laughs> right. They have, you know, access to all these supplements. They have access, to, you know, yeah. they have... They have two gyms inside their office. Wow. You know, they have a full gym. They have a Gold's gym in the same parking lot. So they can just walk over. Right. They have like pull-up bars in like every other yeah. room. Unlimited supplements. Yeah. <laughs> and like people, you know, people there are happy to give advice too. Yeah. But they just don't, they just don't do it. Yeah. You know, like, 
you can't motivate somebody, you know, all the time. Sometimes they got to motivate themselves from within. So, yeah, it, it sucks that, you know, I wish everybody would be super motivated to get in shape, get healthy, but, you know, it's not the case. You've always been in shape, like, ever mm-hmm. since I've, I've, I've met you. Like, how, how do you stay consistent? Uh, it's just become a lifestyle, you know. Um, you know, I used to be really skinny back in high school, you know, and then I came to a point where I was like, okay, you know what? There's something I can do about this. You know, I'm tired of just being a scrawny dude. Let me, um, let me go hardcore and try to change my physique. And since then, you know, it's kind of initially it was an obsession, but now it's just turned more into just kind of it's my lifestyle, you know. And I'm not so much about just being jacked anymore. It's just about actually just being healthy and looking good, you know. So that's that's kind of my philosophy right now. Are there ever like points? Like where you kind of just you know get a little bit lazy or you know you're like man it'd be nice to just have pizza and yeah of course uh, you know I, and I still do that now I'm, you know I have cheap meals you know things like that um, for me like you know since I've been working out for so long what happens is I'll still I'm always working out but I'll hit come to points where I, you know just kind of hit a plateau where the motivation isn't there I'm just kind of going through the uh, motion and um, you know so that's what was hard to break out of sometimes that that kind of plateaued motivation. So what have you done in the past to, to break out of that? Uh, so I, I just try to find uh, new motivations to try to, you know, whether, you know, for example, um, you know, it might be a, a new girl I have a crush on. So I'm like, oh, man, let me uh, step up my game right now because I'm motivated for next time I see her, you know, to look good. So, you know, it's just about finding your different motive. Everybody's going to have a different motivation and a different why. Uh, it's just about finding a, a why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. And now that you got all these custom made suits, you you, you, you can't you can't outgrow them, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I got to keep my physique, so I keep it in my suits. I like it. So actually, you know what? Tell everyone about these suits that you made the last time you were in Thailand. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, we were in Thailand, and then um, we went to a like the small little tailor. But yeah, I got my first custom made suit. Uh, got some custom shirts made, and. Yeah, like. Do you remember how much it was? Oh man, I think it was less than two hundred dollars, which is insane for a custom made suit. Uh, I think in the U.S., I mean, for a decent custom made suit, you're gonna start at at least a grand, probably. So yeah, um, you know, and what sucks is before I went out to Thailand that time, I had just bought like this um, eight hundred dollar boss suit off the rack. It was awesome, so I thought. But then I went to Thailand, get a custom made suit, and it, I mean, it just fits perfectly. So <laughs> I haven't even worn that boss suit, and it was brand new. That's crazy, man. So an $800 Hugo Boss suit yeah. versus a $200 suit from Thailand. Right. And you look good in these suits, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing compares to the, a custom-made suit. Like, I'll never wear a suit off the rack ever again in my life. So when you go out, like, so tell me about, like, professional settings and social settings. Mm-hmm. How, do people treat you differently when you're in a suit? Yeah, completely. The respect level, I mean, you'll notice it right away. When you're in a, even, even not just a custom-made suit, even a suit. I mean, the respect level changes when you talk to people, whether it's at, you know, Popeye's Chicken or whether it's in a business setting or a nightlife setting. You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it is the perception of, you know, being in a suit. So it's just that's how it is. People are going to look at you differently when you're in a suit, especially a custom made suit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because like you literally look like a million bucks when you're in a suit. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, you know me, I wasn't really the suit guy, but I've become the suit guy because, yeah, it just you i mean oh man they just fit too, so good every time i go out it's just i'm instantly standing out out of everybody and just works so just another reason to go to thailand right? exactly yeah yeah <laughs> definitely so you're gonna come back to visit soon i'm definitely gonna try to get out there this year uh i got i want to make get a lot more suits made want to get like uh you know some overcoats some uh trench coats made that's sick yeah so are you are you pretty happy living in la or would you is there anywhere else you want to live 
Uh, right now, I'm I'm very happy living in L.A. Uh, you know, if my business is successful, you know, I definitely would like to you know travel the world more and you know maybe consider living in other parts of the world as well. Okay. Yeah, I like that because yeah. then you have the freedom to to do something. right. Yeah, but right now, yeah, I'm totally happy living in L.A. I'm enjoying every minute. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm actually. I've, I think after this trip, I've decided I would like to keep visiting LA, mm-hmm. but I never want to live here again. Yeah, it's just like there's so much stress, man. Right, especially you living in Thailand for so long, and then you come back to LA, one of the worst places for like you know stress level on day to day basis. Yeah, just like even sitting in the car in traffic, mm-hmm. and then it's like because it's something out of my control, right? right? So I try not to stress about it because it's out of my control. Yeah. But at the same time, I realized it is in my control because right. I didn't need to be here. Exactly. I didn't need to have this commute. I could have just lived somewhere else. Right. You know, so for example, you know, I was driving from, I'm staying in Anaheim uh, and then I'm driving up to LA every day to get my, to get my visa. Mm-hmm. So I just got my six month tourist visa from the Thai embassy. Mm-hmm. Super excited about that because people keep talking about it. People have been because it's brand new. Like it was before you can only get like a like a standard tourist visa. Right. Good for two months. This one is now good for six months, and I can um, if I come back in right before it expires. So it expires in June. Mm-hmm. So if I come back in right before it expires, I get another two or three months after that. Oh, nice. So essentially, I can get it for it's good for nine months. Yeah. What was the price difference? It was. Technically, it was double the price. And that's why so many people are mad about it. Uh-huh. Like, I wrote this mega blog post on Johnny FD. If you want to look for it, it's called like announcing the new six-month multiple entry visa. Uh-huh. And I was all excited about it when I wrote it. So I'm like, check this out. You know, this visa is now good for six months, extendable to like nine months. Right. Uh, and the way, yeah. And then I was like, it, and even better than that, it gives you the flexibility where it's multi, like it's unlimited entries. So you can go in and out as much as you want. So right. let's say we're kicking it in Chiang Mai. And then somebody says, "Hey, let's go to let's go to the Philippines for a weekend to go diving." You're like, "All right, let's go." And then we come back, and then two weeks later, someone's like, "Hey, let's go to Singapore," mm-hmm. and you, you go there. We can just come in and out as much as we want. Yeah, so that, that's I mean, ideal for somebody that's always on the go, you know, traveling around Southeast Asia, things like that. Yeah, and I think that's why people. I mean, why Thailand made it in the first place? Right, it's probably such a frequent thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then before, you had to plan it out. Be like, well, I would like to go to Singapore mm-hmm. with you, but I can't because, you know, I just activated this visa. Yeah. And if I if I leave now, I just wasted a month one, and a half. Yeah, right. And I mean, I'm limited to three, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But what it is, I think, the reason why people are mad is because if you just calculate the, the value of it, back in the day, you can get a triple entry visa that's good for the same amount of time mm-hmm. it's also good for like for six months right and then the cost of it was a lot cheaper it was like a hundred bucks mm-hmm. but then so now people are like why are you so excited about it everyone's mad <laughs> but in the grand scope of things if you have to worry about a hundred dollars over six months yeah <laughs> so you're worrying about you're worrying about two hundred dollars a year to sacrifice the, the the flexibility and the freedom right like your priorities are wrong yeah i agree you know? And it's bad because I used to have that mentality where, to me, that was a lot of money. Right. You know, and it, you know it's, I mean, to a point, it still is. Like, yeah. I, I don't, like, just go out and waste $100, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to go to a strip club and throw $100 <laughs> right. at a girl, you know, make yeah. it rain. Make it rain. But at the same time, you know, I'm like, you know what? I should not be, I should not be stressing about $100 over mm-hmm. six months. If you cannot make an extra 600 you know, if you can't make an extra $100 in the next half a year, yeah. you're doing something wrong. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you where do you think you uh, you see yourself and everything in the next six months or year? Uh, well, I hope uh, w- you know within six months to a year that you know grass fed coffee's starting to really gain some traction. 
um, we're we're launching in uh, Los Angeles, so we're hoping that a lot of these um, you know fitness types, models, celebrities, you know, start drinking it, and um, hopefully get in like Whole Foods, you know, these natural retailers, and then uh, by the end of the year, I hope that um, you know we're in a, we got Los Angeles locked down. That's that's the goal. You know what? I can see that 100% happening, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling that it's going to grow a lot faster than you, than you can imagine. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll, I'll be willing to bet money that by this time next year, so January 2017, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you're in the U.S., you're going to be able to get some. Awesome. Some. I hope so. Thank you. you. Know, let's, let's check that out. <laughs> yeah. And you know, very smart of you guys to launch it on Kickstarter first mm-hmm. instead of just spending all this money to manufacture. Right. You know, because even though JP technically, you know, he has enough money he can back it. He could just be like, let's just make it and hope that people want it. Yeah. It's so smart that you guys tested the market. You yeah. Know, this is basically M- the MVP model where you're like, let's see if people are willing to spend money to pre-order it. Mm-hmm. And ha- have people been pre-ordering it? Yeah. So um, I-, I believe we're about. Uh, last time I checked, we were at about 400 backers. So um, yeah, people are pre-ordering. I mean, they've you gotta remember they've never tried this product. They don't know what it tastes like. It could taste like crap for all they know. But people are buying, you know, month supplies. People are buying. A, I mean, we had a few backers that bought a year supply. I mean, that's a thousand dollars that they put down to get a year supply and never tasted it before. So it it show it is proving that people do want this product. You know. Yeah, it's crazy that, that people do that, but luckily it tastes good. Yeah, it tastes great. <laughs> it, it tastes awesome. So I've tried it, and I'll vouch for it because I've you know I've, you know I've had normal bulletproof coffee mm-hmm. now for years. So I, I know what it's supposed to taste like, um, but I can vouch. Yeah, it tastes good. Yeah. So I'm excited for it to come out. And hey man, it's it's been good having you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. If someone wants to uh, to to hop on the Kickstarter before it ends, because we got a few more weeks. From when this airs, how can they find it? Um, yeah, so uh, the Kickstarter ends at the end of January, the last day of January. And then so, yeah, just go on Kickstarter, search grass-fed coffee. It uh, should pop up right away. Um, yeah, if you order now, you'll get a, a significant discount. So uh, I suggest if you do want to try it, hop on there. And it's one of those things, too, where like it, it's the manufacturing is hard for it. So after this first batch... Mm-hmm. People might have to wait a while to, to even get a second patch, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you got you kind of have to pre-order it. Yeah, definitely. I I, told, uh, I, mean, I totally recommend pre-ordering. Just not only does it help me, but you know, yeah, you're gonna be the first one to even get it. Uh, I'm almost 100 percent positive you're gonna love it. So you know, yeah, who knows when the second production run will be? Yeah, I, I like that. And if people want to follow you on social media, yeah, social media, um, Instagram, Twitter uh, is Grassfed Coffee, uh, three words. And same as on Facebook as well. Okay. Very cool. So I'm going to enjoy the rest of LA. Uh, everyone, happy 2016. Make sure you drink some grass-fed coffee. Yeah. And then I hope, you know, whatever you guys are up to, just do you guys crush it this year. Yeah. Kill it. All right. All right, guys. Peace out. Peace.
Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.